0: Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. I am joined, as always, with my lovely co-host, Andy Stoiber. How are you, Andy?
1: Hi, Molly. I am doing quite well today. I made it through to Thursday when we're doing this. The worst of the week is behind me, and now I get to drink wine and talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. What's the worst day of the week for you?
1: I have a lot going on Monday, classes mm-hmm. until late night, it starts in the day, and so on Tuesdays, the past couple of weeks, I've woken up and I'm like, is it Saturday? And I'm like, oh, God, it's, <laughs> so it's Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's not an adjustment. Thursday <laughs> so so feels like, I don't know, it's great.
0: Yeah. I. Uh, How are you? Uh, yes. I'm okay. I currently don't have two uh, days off from work back to back. So mm. what I established is that, that means I have two Mondays. So I have two days every week where I'm like, oh, I haven't answered email. Oh, I have to, like, you know, reassess my to-do list and all that stuff. And that's Thursday for me. Thursday is my second Monday. So, (laughs) and, you know, I'm hanging in there.
1: I'm hanging in there. Good. I mean, it is at least the best time of year. You just had your birthday. It's true.
0: And you have yours. We're Libra. Yeah. We're Libra buddies. Okay,
1: but, yeah, yes, I know, the Libra thing. We could just maybe (laughs) an astrology podcast. Okay, say something about your birthday, though, because you're a birthday person.
0: Oh. (laughs) I will say something about my birthday. Was my birthday really just last Saturday? That's amazing. Yeah. Since my husband and I were newlyweds, we plan birthday adventures for the other person. But we try to do things that we've never done before, which was um, fine when we first lived in Madison. And then it was great when we wa- lived in Washington, D.C. But now, now we've been back in Madison for more than a decade. And, like, you know, there's always so much stuff to do in our fair city. <laughs> so thing number one about my birthday that I just need to, I just need to say, I just need to get it out there. Andy and my, I don't know if he's Andy's favorite, but I'll just say he's my current love, as pop Mm. stars
1: go. Yeah, I'm with you.
0: The one and only Mr. Harry Styles played Chicago on my birthday. And Chicago's only two hours from Madison, guys. And Connor, my loving, darling husband, kept asking me, are you sure you don't want to go? And I was like, I just, I don't know. I see these videos. And people don't have masks on and they're all really close to each other. And like, I think I've mentioned this before. I have an unvaccinated child in Mm. my house and I just kept saying no. But then I just like my Instagram, Like all I do is watch TikToks of Harry Styles performing. And I'm like, how did I say no to this? So I listened to some Harry Styles longingly and wished I could see him. (laughs) So there's that for my birthday. And my day started with a taste test from Batch Bakehouse. And it was a blind taste test. And Pippa and I had uh, blindfolds on. <laughs> we had to taste the different things and guess what they were.
1: Wow. Wait. Did you succeed? Most of them, yeah. That's, okay. If you, and if you don't know, Batch Bakehouse is pretty much the best bakery you'll find anywhere. Yeah. It is, as a bakery snob, I go everywhere and eat bakery. Batch has it down. So, yeah, we, we did like six different
0: things. things. We only got tripped up on one of them. And then we ended the day with, um, what is called Lauren's mom's apple cake. Lauren is the baker mm-hmm. and one of the owners at Batch. And she makes this gorgeous apple cake. We had the whole cake oh, wow. and then we decided forks were optional. So we just, we're, <laughs> it was like fantastic Mr. Fox. We just like shoved cake <laughs> in our mouth. That's why I had to share that, right? And that's take inspiration. That's there. a great
1: Andy. day. See, yeah, I need to, I, well, I usually have cake. I like to at least buy myself, like the cake is there. Okay, good. Well, I buy myself cake or my the cake is usually... Maybe make forks
0: thing. optional. It, you know, Yeah, it brings a certain joie de vivre <laughs> to things.
1: <laughs> that's a good <laughs> You know, good that's point. what we do.
0: <laughs> it's time now for our aperitif, a little bit of fun knowledge to wet your palate. On October 26, 2021, an amazing book is going to drop and you all need to know about it. It's called Revelations in Air by Jude Stewart. Jude is an amazing writer who first came onto my radar because she wrote a book about colors. She wrote a book about patterns, and now she's tackling smell in such a digestible, interesting way. She has very small, brief chapters uh, about different categories of smell. And then within that, it's like very, for the most part, pretty familiar smells. So she'll talk about wine, but also chocolate, about petrichor, which is the way that things smell after it's rained and it's a new word and i just kind of love it. I picked up this book because i thought it would be fun and then immediately realized the professional implications of it. It has made me appreciate my sense of smell even more than i already did. Unlike a lot of people, my sense of smell is incredibly important to my job. <laughs> so i don't take it for granted, but this book has me thinking about it in a whole new way. I love moments like that where i can be more mindful than I already am and not take things for granted. So I think that this would be a wonderful book for anybody to pick up. I don't think you have to take wine seriously or food seriously to get something out of it. Jude has such an easy, lovable way of writing that I think anybody would enjoy it. So I want you to know about it. I think you should get it from your local indie bookstore. Support local indie businesses. So yeah, get yourself a Jude Stewart Revelations in Air and have fun. Hey, Andy, should we drink some wine?
1: Yeah. Yes. Great. Yes.
0: All right. We are going to pop the cork or open the can.
1: What are we drinking out of a can right now?
0: We are drinking the She Can Rosé from McBride Sisters in California. Here's what I want to say about this wine. I love canned wine. If people are still hung up on it, if you're hung up on cans, you got to get over it. The the time has come. There's just really fantastic wine in different vessels now. So cans are Mm -hmm. portable. You can take them to parks. You can take them on boats. You can take them camping.
1: (laughs) I hear a children's story. (laughs) (laughs) My can of rosé and me.
0: So McBride Sisters have this really great story. I will do an abbreviated version, and I will encourage listeners to go check them out and read more about them. They are two sisters, Robin and Andrea. One of them grew up in California. One of them grew up in New Zealand. They did not know about each other. Um, They have a shared father, different mothers. And it was only after their father passed away that they were able to find each other. And they are the first to say that if they hadn't found each other, they don't know that they necessarily would have started a winery. But it was, you know, having each other really inspired them to do something together. They wanted to create something together. So they make wines both in California and in New Zealand. They are now, as far as I know, they are the largest Black-owned winery in the world. And they have a couple different lines of wines. So the SheCan line is, you know, in cans. But they also started the SheCan Professional Development Fund. So it helps women with small business funding, scholarships, all sorts of things. So They have a great story, which I think adds to the great wine. I don't carry wines just because they have great stories. So I carry this wine because it's delicious. What do you think, Andy?
1: I love that whole story about this wine. I have strong feelings about canned wine. I think it is a revolution, and you can have a can of wine in your fridge at all times. And you can, it's so portable, like you said, take it anywhere. Definitely had a phase, especially when I first was working at the shop, of, pardon my dog if you hear that barking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's He's loud. Anyway, sneaking cans into concerts was really quite fantastic.
0: I remember you telling me you took cans into movies. Oh, yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, real Yeah,
1: take wine. And, yeah. Yeah, that was a phase when I really wanted wine as my beverage of Anytime I was drinking, <laughs> um, but I bring sake to a concert because they had metal detectors, and you can buy those like Jodo cups, right? Is that what it's called? And oh they're just yeah. Like cardboard, and so you, if you want to be sneaky about sneaking things into venues, you're amazing. You can. <laughs> just be creative. I
0: love that Sorry. so much. I love it.
1: <laughs> think about the packaging. Like you think about how much a glass bottle costs, which I think is like anywhere, like a dollar rate? I don't know. Actually, I'm making that up. I'm not sure what a glass bottle costs. I know I've seen things about how much corks cost. But you think about the, pa- like the packaging of the wine and how much that can cost. And a can can be so much cheaper once a, the canning facility is up and running and overhead is paid for, I think is important. But you think about what you're paying for, you're actually then paying for juice instead of glass and a cork. I advocate for it because I think you get really solid juice in cans. So when you see a can, try it. I think there's more and more cans every summer, every year that have some incredible stuff.
0: I agree. And this wine makes me super happy. It tastes like summertime. It's really mm. warm here, even though it is the end of September. It's quite hot today. It's like 85. And this wine is like watermelon yeah. and strawberries. Watermelon but sugar. Some good minerals.
1: Is it? There... Maybe. <laughs>
0: Maybe, maybe watermelon trigger. Maybe watermelon salt. Is that, are we okay with that? Harry, is Harry okay with us appropriating his song?
1: It's a different song.
0: (laughs) I think it is actually more um, in line with what he says that Mm. song's
1: about. Let's just be real.
0: But anyway. (laughs)
1: But you have a way in to discuss this with Pippa. Here, listen to this song. Harry Styles has something.
0: Oh, no. She la- she asked us what Watermelon Sugar was about. And that was one of the times where I was like, nope, mm-mm, nope. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. That's weird. Why does he call it that? Why does everybody giggle? Why does everybody giggle when, he's, when he talks about that song? I don't know.
1: I, I, admit, I think I'm really um, naive when it comes to what pop music is about. That, like, song about, like, cake by the ocean. I just assumed it was about eating cake by the ocean <laughs> for the longest time. Oh, I um, yeah, like, cake, though. Maybe, you know, cake by the ocean sounds great. It's just a good, right. tasty thing.
0: Maybe. Maybe it's that you don't like girls in <laughs> your yeah, Maybe it's that your but, mind yeah, doesn't go exactly,
1: there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, this rosé in a can is delicious. It. It's everything you bring in a rosé. I know. It's so delicious. Also half a bottle in a can. But usually, usually cans are 375 milliliters, which half a bottle, you don't commit yourself to a whole bottle if you're concerned.
0: It's true. And there are smaller sizes too, which are like a glass and a half. Yeah. So this rosé is a blend of Pinot Noir, Merlot, Zinfandel, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Malbec, which I think if you just heard me list those grapes, you might think, oh, so it's like big and you know, fruity and whatever. And it is, there's fruit to it for sure, but it's just a, an amazingly balanced wine that I really enjoy. It's, we will um, tie this wine into our movie. You'll understand why we picked this wine yeah.
1: in, in a few more minutes. I do think this is just great rosé that shows why rosé got so popular. And there's such a huge amount of rosé made these days that I think there's a lot of not great rosé out there. Not a table wine, there's so much. but in the world thank you um, thank you
0: for clarifying there's really great rosé at table wine even though it's at well after labor day now yeah i have a lot of super great rosé still because
1: there's still that person that comes into the shop or would and say like rosé well, that's not that's some sort of like
0: is it sweet yeah i mean that's all that's all everybody assumes
1: always and them i say you fool <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's why he doesn't work at the <laughs> shop anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't call you a fool, everybody. No. If you say that to us, we're not going to say you fool. But we'll say, yeah, there is, there is great rosé. There is. When we talk about our movie, I'm going to talk a lot about how to sell wine. One of the ways to sell wine is to not tell people that they're dumb.
1: Yeah, that's let's just very start true. there. That's
0: a good. That's a good basic. Which case. is
1: kind of hard. I mean, it is. Hard. That's the, that's the difficulty. <laughs> is when someone says something, you're just well, okay, not like, and and I come to this with. Wine is ridiculous, right? It is absurd how complex it out gets. But you realize the scope of how people who try to buy wine don't really know anything about wine sometimes. Yeah. And you have to steer them in the right direction. Yeah,
0: and not make them feel dumb for asking the question. Are you ready for wine number two?
1: <laughs> yeah, I have to chug this. One moment. Yes.
0: Oh, damn, son.
1: hmm I poured My... too much, but it's really tasty. It's this quaffable wine.
0: I'm going to start talking about this other one.
1: Okay. Yes, do it
0: you'll be fine you're gonna get real drunk did you eat today
1: Mm-mm. you didn't eat again is this your Had new thing? dinner at like 11 o'clock it was you know last night a lot of cars okay i'm just not that hungry in the morning again okay. my lifestyle does not match up with the mainstream lifestyle either
0: does mine well
1: you ate today so what does that say
0: sorry it's <laughs> true I eat lots of, I eat all the time. I love I'm to eat. Once I start eating,
1: I don't want to stop eating. So that's why I don't, I
0: don't understand people who don't eat. So Andy, our second wine is from Piedmont, Italy. It is the 2020 Luigi Giordano Lange Rosso. So when you see Lange on a bottle, that means that's a subregion within Piedmont. The wines don't have to be 100% Nebbiolo, though they, though they usually do involve Nebbiolo. Um, and in this case, it is almost a hundred percent Nebbiolo. Andy, do you wanna tell people about Nebbiolo?
1: I was gonna say you can remember lange, because it looks a lot like lang, and you can think of Jessica Lang and think, ooh, that's quality. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, is that how you learned that? That's what I thought of right now. Um L-A-N-G-H-E. <laughs> is long game. Lang does not have the H, but you know, oh I think it's a good little uh, trick for you to remember. I love um, it. Nebbiolo is cool. is a un- unicorn of the wine world because it's classified as a full-bodied wine, but really is quite light much of the time. But because of its tannins, it slots into full-bodied. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that is my understanding. It's a unicorn, for better or worse. You should try it and figure out if you love it.
0: When I'm talking to people in class about it, I refer to it as a mind fuck. (laughs) So you're welcome for that, everybody. Um, Because it is high in tannin, so it makes your mouth dry. It physically dries your mouth out, but then it's also super high in acid. So then it makes your mouth water. And so it's very confusing to people (laughs) because it's like, my mouth is dry. Wait, my mouth is watering my mouth is dry my mouth is watering and they don't understand what's happening and it looks very light in the glass Mm -hmm. it looks like pinot noir but then you take a sip of it and it sure isn't light on the palate
1: yeah which again the movie we'll talk about gets at this too when you're classifying a wine and the first step is looking at it in the glass if you looked at this you would immediately think light-bodied something Right. Like a Gamay or a Pinot Noir. I'm trying to think what else would be so light. It's beautiful. Yeah,
0: it's it's super translucent though, right? It's like it is... Mm-hmm. It's super cherry color. Like it looks like cherry juice almost. Mm-hmm. This particular wine does have a little bit of a white grape blended in, a grape called Arnese. which is why this particular Nebbiolo is actually a little bit lighter on the palate. Usually with Nebbiolos, I would, if we were drinking something that was made last year from Nebbiolo. I wouldn't be able to speak right now because my tongue would be so dry. It would be stuck to the roof of my mouth. But I like this producer because he can go for this like fresher Mm -hmm. style that Mm -hmm. does not need to be aged for 30 years before you crack it open.
1: Yeah, it's very nice.
0: (laughs) It is. Yay. I'm glad. I'm so glad. I love
1: this. I don't love every Nebbiolo. And that's the tricky thing, And I mean, in general about wines, right? You can find a grape that you think you don't like in one bottle, and then maybe there is a bottle, there probably is a bottle of it that you will love. Um, Nebbiolos I don't like as much, but this, I mean, this is just easy drinking, too. It's not not offensive in any way or too bold. It is just like, it'd be great with a meal, but it's tasty on its own.
0: A lot of Nebbiolos, particularly Barolos, tend to have this kind of like a balsamic bay Mm -hmm. leaf, all these savory flavors that are pretty polarizing. They are things that people either really go for or don't go for. And it's interesting because they're flavors that I like, but the tannins usually for me are just, it's a roadblock from a personal love standpoint. I, you know, and I know that I just went down in people's wine professional (laughs) estimation. Like, you know, I know that I just lowered myself 25 notches by not professing my undying love for Barolo. Um, I'm safe with that. I'm okay. I'm comfortable where I am. It's, yeah, it's not always what I want to drink. That said, this wine is really super pretty. And when I was picking Mm -hmm. a Nebbiolo that Andy and I would both enjoy, I thought this is the kind of Nebbiolo that we want to drink. So that's what we're drinking. Yeah,
1: and you had mentioned opening a Barolo and I had actually, I believe, opened a Barolo a a month ago or so when some friends got engaged and for a nice meal I made for them to celebrate, cracked open a Barolo. And I was like, this is... I mean, I made, it it was an Italian dinner and I was like, this is good. But it is a lot. It's a big wine and it is cool how pretty and different this Nebbiolo is. Um, There's a lot, something like Barolo and like Burgundies and these big wine regions, like there's a lot of like mental expectations about what you're going to experience. And sometimes when it doesn't match up, because it's such an investment in that bottle, it's a bigger disappointment when you can get something like this Nebbiolo for much less, much less investment and be more pleased. <laughs> that's, which I think is yeah. a wine lesson in general is like, don't feel like you need to like go for the big expensive bottles. They're not necessarily better for you. That yeah. to me is huge. And that's why I love table wine is because it's not about selling you expensive wine. It's about selling you good wine. <laughs> that's approachable. Right. That's-
0: but I know like when we first opened, we dabble trying to carry a Barolo or two. And let me just pause to say that Barolo is a region within Piedmont, Italy where the world's best Nebbiolos are from. And so I would try to carry a relatively inexpensive Barolo because I felt like I wanted to have, you know, in my mind, I wanted to have a few on the shelf, but I would only, you know, be able to carry like one or two in a price point that was relatively friendly. But you just, you really do need to spend more money. Like you really need to spend like a a chunk of change to get Barolo that's going to be worth it. Otherwise, you're going to be left with a $50 bottle of wine that you think is meh. And I think that, like, that's the most disappointing because for us and who uh, our customers are, who our drinkers are, 50 bucks is a lot of money. Like, I have a kid. I can't spend that kind of money on a bottle of wine for Tuesday night.
1: But I remember a Barolo you brought in, I believe, for a tasting of some higher-end wines
0: mm-hmm.
1: a year. I mean, it was before the pandemic probably. And, oh, it was so good. And I think it was only like $50. Do- I mean, it was $50-ish. But you realize if you could drink $50 bottles all the time... What a life that would be. Sure. Not all $50 bottles, but some yeah. are quite nice. Yeah. And after drinking for a long time, I feel like I can appreciate those things.
0: I drink yeah. For a That's long
1: true. time, or more so, maybe drinking a lot in a little amount of time. But um, you know
0: what? Is, you say that, and I totally do agree with you, but I'm going to have a sip of rose.
1: Quaffable. It mm-hmm. <laughs> can't be quaffable. Chuggable nope. rose, chuggable cans. If someone wants to take this idea and pay me for it, chuggable <laughs> wine in a can. <laughs> I think Google places.
0: He's trying, everybody. He's trying. (laughs) Do you want to talk about the movie? I'm (laughs) apparently drinking this whole can of wine. Okay.
1: Good Good for you. You go, Glenn Coco. You drink that can of rosé. Now it's time to decant. Molly, what did we watch?
0: We watched the Netflix film Uncorked. That... I uh, came on my radar, I guess, when I was th- looking around for wine movies, and it's been suggested by the, you know, magical algorithm at, at Netflix. And we're going to do an improv-style rundown of the a brief synopsis of this movie. It's going to be great. I'm going to start, and Andy's going to chime in whenever he has a yes and. So it's a story of a young man named Elijah who is working part-time at a wine shop in Memphis, But his family owns a renowned barbecue spot. His dad thinks that he's training Elijah to take over the barbecue business. But Elijah's real heart lies with wine. Yes. Yeah. Also, I think like a lot of us, I think Andy and I can both relate to this. I don't mean to speak for you, but Elijah, like a lot of us, is in his, I think, I don't know if we ever establish his age, but it feels like he's probably in his late 20s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's tried some things and they haven't, none of them have stuck. And so then his family kind of talks about him like he's, I don't know, that he's already messed up on life or that he's already like missed the path, even though he's not that old and there's still a whole lot of life to be led. And that was something that I could very much relate to, of feeling like I was letting everybody down because I wasn't doing what they expected me to do after college.
1: So yeah, which, yeah, it's talked about like a deep flaw of like, oh, this person doesn't commit to anything. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think, talked about a lot right now with 20, 30 year olds, how we don't stick to things.
0: Well, and like I I experienced that and I um, have later learned that that was like my. So I'm very late Gen X. And as a generation, Mm -hmm. we kind of were like, I don't I don't know. I don't know that I want to do this thing, this corporate thing or I, you know, the thing I went to school for might not be the career I have, whatever. So I could definitely relate to that. So the so the story without giving too much away um involves Elijah studying uh for the master sommelier test while uh navigating his relationship with his father and the family biz after tragedy strikes the family.
1: Yeah. 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 It it follows I think a pretty classic again, Hollywood formula, I don't know, watching movies now. And I'm like, I'm going to be talking about this on a podcast. I'm like, oh, yes, it's a Hollywood formula. This movie had lots of pros and cons for me. And what you did didn't...
0: it do right for you?
1: Um, what did this
0: movie do well in your estimation?
1: This movie, I think, was actually trying to make people or make wine lovers, I don't know, pique their excitement. I think if you don't have an interest in wine, this movie is not for you. That being said, if you're open and you're just kind of interested in lots of things, it could be interesting. But it definitely is, I think, you have to, like, love wine to some degree to really care about what's going on in the movie. The thing that I really liked is how they, this is maybe not a huge thing, but showing young people in Paris drinking wine he's like him and his three friends are in Paris drinking wine and I was just like oh my god that's what I want to do I would (laughs) love to be in Paris drinking wine and you know Paris is in a lot of movies and I don't feel like wine is always the focus but it really made me consider like oh yeah if I went to Paris or France like I can drink a lot of good wine for much less money than here I think it just it struck a chord with me and if you like wine I think it strikes a chord. Oh, that it's so romantic. The site, like, you know, it's like the mecca of wine and going there is special. So I like that. I like also I think they do they apprentice Penny is the director who does a lot of insecure directing and I love the show Insecure. So I was excited <clears throat> about this. I think it's a good approach to how wine represents a certain social milieu I never know if I'm saying that word right, but, like, it, it, it's it's a somewhat exclusive club, right? And so it's about trying to break into that club of being accepted as, like, a wine person. Paris is, like, this great metaphor of, like, going to, you know, the bastion of culture in so many ways. They show them, like, in museums. And so I think it's a lot about not just wine per se, but, like, elite culture, in our world and what it's like to try and break into that, especially when you might not feel totally born into it.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that drew me to wanting to watch the movie was that it is about a black family, it's about a young black man. And that, I mean, there aren't that many good wine movies, full
1: stop, <laughs> yeah.
0: right? And then they're all all—they're all about men, but at least this one was, uh, <laughs> you know, a not a white man. And I really, at first, I kept coming back to the fact that there's only one scene in the movie in which they even touch on the racial dynamics in the wine industry. And it's pretty pat. They don't do a deep dive on it in that scene. And then they just kind of, like, leave it. There's, like, this, like, joking with Elijah. And he says, like, white people are really weird. And they kind of, like, laugh about that. And then they're like, that's kind of it. And... At first, I was like, Why aren't you talking about this more? I want to, I want like a treatise on what it's like to be a black man in the wine industry. And then I realized, like, first of all, that's not my place to have mm-hmm. that issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And that this is the first story or this is a story. This isn't all of the stories. It doesn't need to do all of the things. Right. And one thing that I thought it did very well is it did show just like life, just like just life, like starting to date a new person, jobs and family and family dinner. And it it was moments of joy and sadness and all that stuff. And it was humanized in a way that I do think reads as kind of slow or like some of the reviews refer to it as like tepid or just kind of like it's there. And I'm like, yeah, but I kind of feel like that's I feel like it's going to stick with me more than I thought it did while I was watching it. Because I feel like that's the beauty of it or like that's the power of it is like it's just normal. Mm -hmm. It's just normal stuff. And that's not like how we see Black stories all that commonly. Yeah. So, but that said, I picked the McBride Sisters because they're a Black-owned winery and there are not very many of those. You know, in the U.S., it's under 50 as far as I know. I want to do as much as I can to amplify the voices of People of color, black people, women, LGBTQ people in the industry, like I I want to shine the light on them as much as possible. So I picked this movie in the hopes that it would really lead to an interesting conversation about race. And I think that it's it's not the conversation I thought we were going to have about race in the wine industry. Right. But I'm kind of okay with that.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I thought I I liked what it did, though. I don't think it was like a total like rags to riches story or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're sort of just ensconced in this person trying to enter the wine world. And yes, they're Black, and that makes it a rarer story, but I appreciated that it wasn't all about just how difficult it is to be Black navigating the wine world. Um, not that I wouldn't appreciate that, but I think it does a good job of what it does. Yeah. Um because it, re- it was easy to resonate with, where it's like wine represents a pinnacle of like a certain absurdist cultural notion of what it means to be cultured, right? Like yeah. to know everything, like to be able to taste a wine and then name what vineyard it's coming from is just insane, but has well, an attraction.
0: Me... <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt,
1: me. No, no, go. That,
0: I... that leads me to the, what I didn't love so much about the movie. And... They got a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah. About uh, they got a lot of stuff wrong about how the process works in becoming a sommelier and um what it is that people are trying to do when they yeah. are blind tasting and really struggled with it because they condense what is a like arguably for for the like elite of the elite. It's still a multi-year process. For a guy who is working at a wine shop who's never worked in a restaurant, who's yeah. never worked in a bar, you, you can't do it that fast. You can't just like suddenly become, oh yeah, I just, I'm gonna go become a master SOM. There's no such thing as wine school. Yeah. Um. You know, I was talking about it with a friend of mine earlier today. He is uh, a certified SOM. And I said like, is that, am I wrong about how this works? Because this movie made it seem like you enroll in wine school and then you go to wine class every day. And you know, there's training, right? And the Court of Master Sommelier's has, like, a two-day training course that you take. But then it's on your own. You're learning on your own. You're not trying to guess the specific winery. Yeah. You're, you know, you're trying to guess the grape and place and vintage, you know, like.
1: Agreed. I had the same issue. And I may have been wrong. I watched this late last night. I want to say they said French Shiraz. And I was like, what? They did. That They did. (laughs) It's like, okay, Andy, I take a step back. But I was like, that's not, you wouldn't say that.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't say that. No, but like you really wouldn't. And so like there are those moments where like I love the Rewatchables podcast and they they talk about their nitpicks on movies, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And they're like little tiny fine details. And it's so funny because I think the things that we're talking about right now, I'm like, those are fine details to other people. But to me... Yeah. You know, that's my freaking job. Like, I'm like, no, man. <laughs> that's not how people talk about wine. Yeah. Um,
1: it breaks other... plausibility. It kind of... It, I'm it tr- does. I know there's terms for this, but it, it doesn't... It If you're really into wine, it it deviates from reality enough where it's a little upsetting or frustrating. But again, I'm like, I can only maybe... Like, maybe this person... It's like you're trying to conform to like traditional movie structures. And it's like, okay, put somewhat like... This pro like a formalized process of learning about wine, where he like uses his whole savings to go into wine school, so it ups the stakes. There's things that it's I think trying to do to make you realize what a big investment it is for this person, but it's kind of hilarious from a certain point of view. It's like, what is this? There's a group of people that all they do all day is drink wine and laugh in classrooms, or like think I don't know, and then go to Paris to talk about wine.
0: (laughs) This sounds great. I'm like that. They have like this exchange program with their sister school, and I was like, but let's start with there isn't a wine college, Mm -hmm. and then you don't have a sister school, and then you're not going to go to Paris because you wouldn't waste your money traveling to Paris when you have to spend your money on the wine, and you have to be in the industry so that you can afford all these freaking bottles because you have to blind taste so many wines to get good enough to pass this test. So that's my high horse about that.
1: Yeah. Which raises a point going back to last week's movie where we see Alan Rickman's character in his wine shop in France, that is the University of of Wine, right? Our Academy of Wine, where wine shops really do double as educational
0: facilities
1: for wine. Where if you want to learn about wine, there isn't really, there isn't a school. Like going to your shop, taking classes, like Molly, you offer classes, like that is where you're going to actually learn these things. There isn't one formal program that you can join and then come out of as a master SOM.
0: Right. I mean, colleges have wine classes, you know, like the local college here, Madison College, has a a wine class. I think UW Extension might have a wine class, like those kinds of things. I realize, you know, I don't want everybody to get up in arms and say, like, of course there's wine college. I'm like, no, but I mean, like, literally, like, dance school or culinary school. Like, I'm talking about, like, the way that it's painted is, is not realistic. And then I have to say that I took a lot of umbrage. With how they think I do my job (laughs) every scene in which someone orders wine or goes to like buy wine there's zero dialogue between the person who's selling the wine and the person who's buying the wine and they just say well what do you recommend and then the person says oh I think you should have the blah 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 and I was like there are so many questions Mm -hmm. involved in being good at selling wine to my point of like did they not go to a wine shop? Did they not go to a restaurant and ask a sommelier, what do you recommend? Because you know what the sommelier is going to say? Well, are you, you know, have you ordered yet, right? And they're going to talk to them about what food they're having. And then they're going to talk to them about the wines yeah. that go with the food, right? If someone just walks into my shop and people do this, where people walk in and they say, what do you like? And I I immediately come back with like, well, it doesn't matter what I like. What do you like? If you want sweet Riesling and I'm on a, I don't know, a Gamay kick. We're not gonna we're not gonna meet in the middle if I tell you what I'm drinking. That doesn't really matter. That
1: yeah, it's very true. It's very Again, true. Again, I'm
0: sorry. I like it they really rankled me. It no, really did. Good. It was like it really as a professional wine cellar, I thought so you don't think that this is like something worth studying enough to write like ten lines of realistic dialogue? You think that like it's just about the vintage and a big name wine and like blind tasting, I felt like mm-hmm. they they drank wine intelligently. They looked like they had actually ever been told how to do that part. That part felt like they knew what they were doing. But it feels like every movie thinks that we all in the industry stand around and talk about Napa Valley uh. and Barossa Shiraz. And uh. I'm like, those are just like, those are so not the wines people in the wine industry talk about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, just... I Yes, that's true. It's true. Like you said, this movie does some things right about blind tasting. And maybe it overextends itself. Maybe it decides, okay, I'm not trying to be 100% accurate here, but instead make a point about, I don't know, the cultural bridging going on of, like, hip-hop culture, which there's a lot of hip-hop music in this. The music juxtaposed. is
0: fantastic. Yeah. The music is so good. The scene with the hip-hop you know, he's equating grapes with hip hop artists. And he's yeah. like, he's he ends up equating Drake with Riesling because it's a little bit sweet. Yeah, And you know, that's what the girl goes for. And like, that's smart. Like that's, int- you know, that's an interesting thing, right? That's an interesting take of bridging those worlds. Yeah. It's when they start, you know, dropping just like every big high point winery name and mm. that stuff that I was like, but that's not how we talk about wine.
1: You know compared to other wine movies, I do think this one is trying to be like, look at I want to do some things about translating the rich, confusing world of wine to a Netflix audience. I I don't know. It I mean Yeah,
0: I guess I just like, you know, I was looking at research and like Master Songs, it takes about no ten thousand ten thousand hours of dedicated work once they've reached the, the levels before that.
1: Yeah, no. I mean
0: And so to me it, yeah. I just question. Why did it have to be that level? Yeah. Why couldn't it just be about a guy who works at a wine shop, whose dad owns a barbecue place, and he decides that he, like, really wants to take wine seriously and wants to, you know, like, I I don't know. It just felt like this, like, really big jump.
1: But don't you think people ask you, being a wine shop owner, oh, are you a sommelier? Like, there is, I think, popular understanding is, oh, if you know wine, you're a sommelier. And so that mistranslation in the Movie. Yeah,
0: and I guess that's that's my point. Like,
1: yeah, it's wrong.
0: <laughs> talk about yeah, talk about it. You know, like I do find it odd that someone who ne- ostensibly had never opened a bottle of wine in front of customers seated at a table before is like, okay oh, yeah, I'm just gonna go become a master sommelier." And I was like, "But for what reason?" Yeah. So that you can learn about wine. Yeah. You can learn about wine without having to like do this. So I agree. I don't know. Maybe I should write a movie. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just
1: saying. That was some fun banter, Molly. (laughs) And it is time to wrap up this week's episode. And we began talking about Libra season, which kicks off fall. What? what? So I want to hear what your favorite fall activity is. Maybe in an ideal world and in reality. What you'll actually do versus what you want to do in fall. Because I romanticize fall.
0: I romanticize fall too. I grew up in Pittsburgh where it rains all the time. And I thought I hated fall because it's cold and rainy there. And then I moved to Iowa in the late 90s where the skies are always blue because the wind is howling across the plains. And I was like, I love fall. (laughs) Fall is beautiful. Mm -hmm. So... And then I lived in D.C. where fall lasts until Christmas, and it's Uh. the most glorious thing in the world. I think that my favorite fall activity is it's both what I idealize and what I actually do, and it's going apple picking with my Mm. family. I did not come from that kind of family. Like, we would always go out to the orchard, but then we just buy the bags of apples. Whereas my family, like, we go, like, out to the trees, and we, like, go pick the apples and stuff, and we go walk around. So we have plans to do that this weekend and to get apple cider donuts and apple cider... And that usually makes me very happy. Um, we do a lot of wholesome fa- fall stuff in my household. So that and watching the movie Clue, that's always my oh,
1: good movie. around Halloween. Oh, right.
0: And I have a house now that's kind of a Clue house. We were just talking about this mm. with friends last night where we need to have a Clue party when oh, we can all God. safely be together. We have four stories. We have a creepy oh, basement. God. We have a kind of shady attic. Um, we could definitely have a Clue party in this house and it would be
1: amazing. So Molly is a millionaire, is what you're hearing. So
0: Molly bought a super rundown
1: two flat <laughs> yeah, yep.
0: that no one in their right mind would have bought. Yeah. And slowly fixing it up. I'm not saying it looks like the Clue house. I'm just saying it has four stories. Yeah. That's... No,
1: it's true. But apparently... And I will be Miss
0: Scarlet, in case anybody was wondering.
1: Uh, Clue is so I... good.
0: I know. What about you? What are your fall I things? Love...
1: Okay. For some reason, fall always evokes a certain literary nature and I always Mm. want to read something wicked this way comes I've started Mm. it. Like I think I bought the book two Octobers ago, like a day before Halloween that last Halloween, I was like started it a week beforehand and then I'll just put it. So, you know, I want like it's like reading a good spook, like book that puts you in a mood of sort of magical realism almost. I don't Mm. know. Also like going to a pumpkin patch, which I never do and harvesting apples is in there and drinking apple cider and going to a corn maze and just having the most spectacular day in a sweater and jeans Mm -hmm. and then ending it watching like hocus pocus um that to me is a perfect fall day the reality is just watching hocus pocus
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's it for this week chin chin chin
1: chin (laughs) Next week, we'll be discussing the documentary film, Song. Feel free to give it a watch before you listen. If you have a question or comment for us that you'd like featured on the show, please submit it at tablewinemadison.com slash podcast. Oh, and if you're enjoying what we're doing here, please review us wherever you listen. Spotify, Apple, or Google. Liking, subscribing, and sharing wouldn't hurt too. The Table Wine Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself and Molly Moran. And our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Craig Ely of FieldNoise.com for setting us up with the software and equipment needed to make this show successful. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.